So here's what's really cool, man, about the verses for tonight. This is crazy cool. Is the brilliant thing about tonight's message is that I had to add no brilliance to it. That's just what's so brilliant. It's just as I was studying and preparing the word, it's like these, essentially these verses on some level just speak for themselves. And it's just going to be such a great reminder for us, church, about the tenets of our faith, about it's the narrative in the world, this whole thing about dark and lightness and good and evil and a, and a God and a devil, and you see, you'll see that being played out. It's just a narrative of our world that we live in, right? So I'm really, really excited about that. Let me open up with this story. There's a gentleman named John Davis. He was known as Uncle John. He was 105 years old in 1981. He had been in prison since 1922. His crime was burglary. He broke into a house and took a watch and $5. Burglary, now just, this is 1922, right? So I did, like, if the cost of living was 3% a year, $5 back in 1922 would be about 100 bucks today. If you use a 5% um, cost of living increase, that'd be like 700 bucks. It's not a lot of money. A watch and $5 back in 1922. Burglary was a capital crime for black persons in Dillon County, South Carolina in the 1920s. And so he was sentenced to life in prison. After escaping twice, he settled down, found Christ, and in 1940 became head cook at the Correctional Institute that he was in. He's free to leave at the time this was written, when he was 105, but he has nowhere to go. He says, getting out of here would be like digging my own grave. I got no living kin left, and who's going to take care of me and pay for my medicine and my food and my clothes? Among other things that he declared, he said on his 105th birthday, he said, since my escapes, I've met enough people to know right from wrong. I've learned the best thing to do is to live right and pray right and treat other people right so I can die right. It's a good life. That's a good life. Here's another story. Charles Finney. This is from the late 1700s. Charles G. Finney. Don't know if you know that name. Google Charles G. Finney if you want. He was a young lawyer at the time. And he was sitting in a, in a village law office in the state of New York. And Finney had just come into the old judge's office, and the judge was not there. It was very early in the day, and he was all alone when the Lord began to deal with him. The Lord says to him, as he understood it, he says, Finney, what are you going to do when you finish your course or your coursework? And Finney replied, I'm going to put out a shingle and practice law. And the Lord said, then what? And he replied, get rich. Then what? He said, retire. Then what? Die. Then what? And the words came tremblingly to him, the judgment. So he ran for the woods a half mile away from the law office. And all day he prayed and he vowed that he would never leave until he had made his peace with God. He saw himself at the judgment bar of God. I learned this because my daughter's an attorney, that to pass the bar means that you're able to go beyond that bar where the judge sits. I never knew that. Isn't that funny? So when you pass the bar exam, that's what it means, that you can actually go into the bar or pass the bar. 
So he prayed and vowed that he would never leave until he made his peace with God. He saw himself at the judgment bar of God. For four years he had studied law, and now the vanity of a selfish life, lived for the enjoyment of the things of this world, was made clear to him. Finney came out of the woods that evening after a long struggle with the high purpose of living henceforth to the glory of God and of enjoying God forever. From that moment, blessings untold filled his life. And God used him in a mighty way, not as a lawyer, but as a preacher, to bring thousands upon thousands to conversion over a useful period of 50 years. Isn't that cool? We're in 2 Thessalonians. We're in chapter 1, verses 6 through 12. 2 Thessalonians, if you're not already there, go to 2 Thessalonians, chapter 1, verses 6 through 12. I'm actually going to start in verse 3, and I'll tell you later why we're going to start in verse 3. We covered verses 1 through 5 last week, but I want to start in verse 3, and we're going to go all the way to verse 12, and then we're going to pray. Starting in verse 3, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting because your faith is greatly enlarged, and the love of each one of you toward one another grows ever greater. What a great reminder to... Send the Hunsleys an email. Let your love toward one another grow ever greater. Verse 4, Therefore we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you are suffering. For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who are afflicting you. Mm. And for God to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of God and away from the glory of his power. When he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed, for our testimony to you was believed. And to this end, we, and to this end also, we pray for you always that our God will count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power. Why? So that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Church, let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are full of grace and mercy. But Lord, we must also recognize and thank you that you are just. Lord, and you do punish wickedness, and you reward faithfulness and righteousness. May we never lose sight of that. Lord, we thank you for your word. May we be instructed by it tonight. Holy Spirit, we give you permission to have your way with us this evening. It's in your name we pray. And everybody said, amen. All right, so let me ask you you a couple questions. Here's the first question. Is it comforting to know that the Lord is just and that he judges righteously? Is that comforting? See, from Genesis to Revelation, there's 66 books in the Bible, 39 Old Testament books and 27 New Testament books. From Genesis to Revelation, this great truth is taught 
that the Lord is just. Amen? Here's another question. Is it comforting knowing that the righteous will be rewarded and the unrighteous will be repaid? Is that comforting? Of course it is. Yes. Here's the third question, (laughs) maybe a little heavier. Does it bring you comfort knowing that the Lord does this in his timing and not yours? (laughs) A little bit comforting, but maybe not as comforting as we would like. It's like, Lord, when? First two questions are comforting. The third one perhaps is maybe a little uncomfortable at times. Here's what's cool. One of the great provisions of God is this, is that he tells us how things are going to turn out. Think about that. It's one of the great provisions that God gives us. Our our God is known as Jehovah Jireh, our provider. One of his provisions for us is he says, here's how things are going to turn out. How cool is that? How kind is that? Knowing the future... The end of something is incredibly useful in navigating the present in that something. Right? Knowing the future of something is incredibly useful in navigating the present of that something. Knowing the future of our lives helps me navigate the present of my life. Think of a movie. We all have our favorite movies that we watch over and over again. One of mine is Gladiator. And I know how it's going to turn out. And I know the bad guy played by Joaquin Phoenix is going to go down. I know that. But while I'm watching the movie, I'm nervous. I think this time he's not going to go down. But I'm comforted because I know the outcome already. But I'm still in the throes of it. And it helps me get through that part, those parts of the movie. That evil, if you will. In verses 3 through 10, which is why I had to start in verse 3. Verses 3 through 10, that's eight verses, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10 is one sentence in the original Greek. One sentence. Oh my goodness. So after the introduction in verses 1 and 2, Paul goes on this long discourse, these eight verses that are one sentence. And, And the power and the punch or the impact of this long sentence can be found In these four words, in this long sentence, here's what Paul is saying. In verse 5, these four words are righteous, repay, relief, and retribution. They all just happen to start with the letter R. But that's the impact of of these eight verses. The impact of this long sentence is that our God is a righteous judge. And he will bring retribution. uh, Those that have done uh, evil will be repaid for the evil that they have done. For the affliction that they've afflicted others with will be brought upon them. And those to whom it has been done to, the righteous that have experienced some of the affliction will have relief. Because our God is a God of retribution, which we're going to talk about a little bit later. This is the impact. This is the narrative of the world. This is what goes on every single day since the creation of mankind. That there is a righteous God who's going to repay the evil, bring relief to those who are afflicted, because our God is just and he has to give and bring retribution to sin. It just has to be done. Christ paid that retribution for us. He died on a cross, a humiliating, excruciatingly painful death. There was retribution for sin, and he paid that sin price for us. And if we don't accept Jesus Christ, then we're going to have to pay through our own lives, which we're going to talk about. I love this commentary comment. This is wonderful. It says, the promise of a balancing of accounts 
in the future may not eliminate the pain of suffering, but it does reduce its insult. Right? It may not reduce or eliminate the pain, but it does reduce its insult to say, you know what, that's okay. It hurts, it stings. But I understand what's going to happen. And that helps us calibrate all those present moments where times are tough. I want to read our text again with some of this in mind. Let's go back to verse 3. Let's read verses 3 through 12 again. Verse 3. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, as is only fitting because your faith is greatly enlarged, and the love of each one of you toward one another grows ever greater. Great job. You're loving each other. Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God. So we're going around to other churches telling them about you for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you are suffering. For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed. For our testimony to you was believed. Verse 11, to this end, we also pray for you always that our God will count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. What a powerful, powerful, powerful text. Okay, so let's go through these verses, starting in verse six. Verse six, for after all, It is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you. Wow. How fantastic is this? In verse 2, if you recall from last week, we see and we embrace some other attributes of God. Grace and peace. That's from verse 2, right? So in verse 2, we see and we embrace the Lord's grace and his peace. And now in verse 6... We see his justice. We love his grace and peace in verse 2, but now in verse 6, we see that he's just, and we are to embrace that as well. Otherwise, what kind of God would he be if he wasn't just? Here's what's cool about this verse. I believe there's actually a couple meanings. There might be more, but at least two meanings in this verse, verse 6. It says, for after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you. Here's the first meaning. God considers it just when those who afflict are repaid with affliction. That's what it says, yes? Very clearly. God considers it just when those who afflict are repaid with affliction. But here's the second meaning. It says, (laughs) for after all, it is only just for God to repay. That's the other meaning. So it, those who afflict are to be afflicted, but only God's the one to do it. That's the other meaning. It's not for us to do it. Say, well, it's only just for those who have afflicted to be afflicted themselves. Yeah, but it's only just for God to do it. 
Why? Because <laughs> only he knows how to do it. I, I, I hope you're not disappointed in hearing that. I hope that's not a shock to your system that you don't have the capability to judge righteously every person in the world. I don't think that's news to anybody here. So here's a warning. If we can't be just with everyone, then we are to refrain trying to be just with anyone. Because we won't do it well. Go to your left in, in Scripture. Go to, go to the book of Romans. Church, check this out, man. Go to the book of Romans. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the book of Acts, and then the book of Romans. Go to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verses 19, 20, and 21. <clears throat> What's that first word in verse 19? Hello? Never. Never take your own revenge, beloved. Paul's writing to the church at Rome. And he's saying, when do you get to do this? Never. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. But here's what you get to do. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Here's your responsibility. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Christianity is not for sissies, right? Who, gets, who can do this unless you're empowered by the power of the Almighty God through His Holy Spirit? Wow. Okay, now let's go over to Galatians. Go a little to your right from Romans. Before you get back to Thessalonians, you have Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So right before Galatians is 2 Corinthians. Go to Galatians chapter 6. Keeping all this in context and in perspective. Galatians chapter 6, starting at verse 7. This is about the Lord's justice. Do not be deceived. Satan's a deceiver. Don't be deceived. God's not a deceiver. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. So when it says that God will afflict those who are afflicting, it's because they're reaping what they have sown. God cannot be mocked. Do not be deceived. Verse 8, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. Whatever part of your life is coming from the flesh, corruption is on its way. I don't know when. I don't know how. I just know that. Okay? Continuing. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life, living things, non-corrupt things. Verse 9. <laughs> so let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time, maybe not now, maybe not next month, but in God's timing, in due time, we will reap if we do not grow weary. Sometimes we grow weary, we're tired of waiting, and so we never reap because we've sown, but we grew weary, and so then we never reaped. So oftentimes we sow, but because we haven't reaped in our timing, we grow weary, and then we never ultimately reap at all. Wow. Verse 10, 
So then, while we have opportunity, let us go do good to all people, and especially to those who are the household of faith, especially to each other. How are you treating people in general, but goodness gracious, especially how are we treating one another as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ? Hey, no matter if you're at this church or any other church, this command applies to us no matter where we go. A buddy of mine used to always say, remember, no matter where you go, there you are. So no matter where you go, there you are, you're going to have to work on this stuff. Oh, great, great verses for us. Okay. Verse 7. Let's go back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7. I'm going to read 6 again. After all, it's only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted. That's the reaping sowing, right? And to us as well, when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. Church, I don't have much to say here except for this. Let's not miss the the very clear, clear clarity of this verse. Our focus in verse 7, he's going to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when he's going to be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. Now, what part of that verse attracts you more, the first half or the second half? So often in the church, we want to know, oh, he's going to come with the mighty angels in flaming fire. Can we talk about that? That's not the point. It's not about the angels or the fire. It's about just retribution. It's about God being just to repay, verse 6, and to relieve, verse 7. To repay those who are evil and to relieve those who are righteous. That's what this verse is about. About a just God repaying and relieving the two different people. Okay, let's move on to verse 8. Dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? So, the main thrust of verse 8, or the main thrust of this word retribution in verse 8, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the main thrust of that word retribution Let me be real clear. Here's the main thrust of that word retribution. It's vengeance, it's revenge, it's punishment. Let's just be real clear. That's what a just God has to do to evil, to sin. It's what he poured out. God poured out his wrath on Jesus Christ on the cross. Okay? So that's the main thrust of this word retribution. It means vengeance. We just read earlier, vengeance is mine. I will repay, thus says the Lord. What a contrast to verse 2, where we got to read about grace and peace. That can be ours instead. Why? Why experience the retribution of God when we can experience the grace and peace found in God through the person of Jesus Christ, which was just mentioned a couple verses earlier in verse 2. So there's two people groups listed here in verse 8, if you saw that. Okay, let's put those up, right? Those who do not know God... That's the first people group. And those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Now let's leave that slide up for a second. Okay? Is that not who's mentioned here in verse 8? Dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those are two separate P 
people groups, okay? Now, it seems just that punishment awaits group two, right? Those who don't obey the gospel, okay, that seems just. But what about group one? They don't, they don't know God. Is that fair? Is that just for God to pour out his punishment on those that do not know him? Valid question, right? Okay. There's an answer for that, by the way, in the Bible. So let's consider group one, those who do not know God. Go back to Romans chapter one. Oh, I love this chapter, man. My goodness. Romans chapter one, verses 18 through 20. Okay. <laughs> Verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of who? Of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. You know what it means to suppress the truth? It's like the truth is, tr- is coming at you and you're holding it back. I don't want that truth. I'm going to suppress it. Because if I, if I let it come in, I'm going to have to deal with it. So that's what, I know it's truth, I'm suppressing it. Nope, nope, you don't get to come in. Nope, you're just like pushing them out the door. No truth in here. No truth in here. That's what it means to suppress the truth. You know it's true, but you're suppressing the truth. Mm. Continue. Because, listen, okay, I'll start over. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in their unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. So going back to Second Thessalonians... Go back to that slide, Robert, the one I just had up there, if you don't mind. I know I'm, I'm messing with Robert. Perfect. Uh, that's not it. The two, the two people groups. Ah, there we go. Right? So those who do not know God, that's what we just read about. They, 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 they know, but they don't, they're suppressing that truth. Okay? Here's how that can be written. Dealing out, verse 8, dealing out retribution to those who will not no, God. That's what it means. God's retribution will come upon those who will not know him. I will not know him. I'm going to suppress the truth. I heard Michael say this four years ago, and, what, and I love it. People are in love with their sin. People are in love with their sin. And so when you're in love with your sin, you suppress the truth. Okay? Now, group two, those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. This is really awesome. Go to John Chapter 3, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Go to John chapter 3. It's just one verse, but I want you to see it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 3. This is really, really, really powerful. John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. Does Satan believe in Jesus? Yes. Is he going to heaven? So that word believe must mean something different. Must mean something different. Hey, Robert, go back to the two people groups again, because I'm going to get to that in a second. I don't need it right now. Okay, let's read verse 36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not believe... Oh, it doesn't say believe. It says obey. 
He who obeys the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. So those are the two people groups. Those who do not know God, meaning those who will not know God, and the other one is those who do not obey. Well, I believe in Jesus. Well, what does that mean? I don't care if you believe in Jesus. What I care about, what Jesus cares about, is if you obey him. Wow. This is so fun. I am having so much fun. Are you guys having fun? Oh, my goodness. This is crazy fun. What else would you rather do on a Saturday? Verses 9 and 10. Okay, go back to 2 Thessalonians. Verses 9 and 10. Okay. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction. Away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed, for our testimony to you was believed. So, the penalty in verse 9, these will pay the penalty. There's three things that that penalty is made up of. Here are the three things. The first one, it says, is what? Eternal destruction. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction. The second one is they will be eternally separated from the presence of God, away from the presence of the Lord. And the third one is they will be eternally separated from the glory of his power. So they will be under eternal destruction, eternally separated from the presence of God, and eternally separated from the glory of his power. So let's be clear about that first one. When it says eternal destruction, this is not a one-time annihilation. Because if it was, then who cares? Live how you want. And you're wiped out one time and you're just done. You're dust and that's it. It's eternal destruction. mean you're being under destruction for forever. That's what it means. And an eternal separation from the presence of God. So, there's a saying. You can pay me now or pay me later. You understand that saying? You can pay me now or you can pay me later. Maybe God made up that saying. It's not scripture, but it kind of is. You can pay him now or you can pay him later. But God, being a just God, you're going to pay him, if you will. You're going to give him due what's due a holy God. Okay? Romans 12.1 comes to mind. It'll be on the screen, right? This is the pay me now. Because if we're not going to pay him now, we're going to have to pay him later. Therefore, I urge you, by the mercies of God, present yourself. Present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Sacrifice now for a short period of time so you don't have to sacrifice then and pay him later for eternity, for eternal destruction. So, regarding verse 9. Let's read verse 9 again. These people will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and away from the glory of his power. I will say this, that verse, that reality, must hurt the heart of God. Because we can sit here and say, yeah, get rid of them. That's not the gist of that verse. It's got to grieve the heart of God that his creation, the people that he created, the people that he loves... Because he's just, this is what's going to happen. It must hurt the heart of God. Wouldn't you agree? I wonder how much it hurts the heart of the Lord's church. 
I wonder how much it hurts our hearts as shepherds, as sheep, as church families, as churches all around the globe. Does it hurt our heart as much as it hurts the heart of God? When verse 9 is even written, that these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, does that hurt our hearts? We should be praying for, we should be praying for people that don't know Jesus, man. Every one of us should have a prayer list, and on that prayer list should be at least one person that doesn't know Jesus. And you should be praying for that person, maybe not daily, but at least weekly. Just praying, praying, praying. So, in verse 10, there's some really cool instruction, I believe, for the church. In verse 10. Let's read verse 10. So, it says that these will pay the penalty, verse 10, when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day. And to be marveled at among all who have believed, for our testimony to you was believed. It says in verse 10 that the Lord will be glorified in those who believe. And it says in verse 10 that the Lord will be marveled at by those who believe. If that's you, if you believe in Jesus Christ, the Lord will be glorified in you. And the Lord will be marveled at by you as well. That's what verse 10 says. I don't know if you picked it up in verse 10. It says, when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed. It could have ended there. It could have just been a period right there. Marveled at among all who have believed for our testimony to you was believed. Huh. That's interesting. Believed is mentioned two times. When it says marveled at among all who have believed, believed what? It's in verse 8. Believed, it says at the end, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it means to believe. Because verse 8 says he's going to deal out retribution to those who do not believe, who do not know God, and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And so that's the first believed in verse 10. But then there's a second believed. The second belief is the testimony of a person. In this case, Paul in Silvanus and Timothy, he says, for our testimony to you was believed. Well, is that what glorifies God? Is that what we marvel at? Is having a belief in somebody's testimony? Here's our instruction. Here's what I'm getting at. Check this out. Our lives are to be used by God to build trust and relationships with others that they believe us and then believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what that verse is telling us. You believed our testimony and put your belief in Jesus Christ. It's a clear indication of our responsibility, church. To pray for people and to allow our lives to brush up alongside people. I've got a few men in my life, and I'm thinking of one in particular. I've been hanging out with him for going on three years now. We have coffee a couple times a year, maybe every two or three months. And it's just this process. And I'm trying to, I am, allowing my life to brush up to, so that he'll believe my testimony. So that when he believes my testimony, then he'll put his faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ. And then Christ will be glorified in him. And then he will marvel at Jesus Christ when he comes. That's, that's the instruction in verse 10 for us. And if you, just, if you just read through that, you'll just gloss over that. It's like, hmm, they believed in the gospel message, but they also believed in the testimony of righteous men. 
which led them to the gospel message. It's so powerful. Verses 11 and 12, as we wrap this up. To this end, so right, so that ends that long verse. From verse 3 to verse 10 is all one sentence, right? So to this end, also, we pray for you always, that our God will count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power so that the name of Jesus will be glorified. Okay, the NIV, I love the way they, they say, instead of to this end also, the NIV says, with this in mind. With this in mind, with that long sentence, starting in verse 3 and ending in verse 10, with that in mind, we pray for you. <laughs> with the fact that there's going to be retribution from a righteous judge, and some will be repaid, and some will be relieved. With this in mind, I'm going to pray for you. Yes, pray for me, because I just found out there's a just God who's going to deal out retribution. So with this in mind, yeah, please do pray for me. I wonder, however, if when the Thessalonians read that part of this letter, if they were encouraged or freaked out a little bit. Think about it. So Paul's saying, okay, guys, hey, look, there's this righteous God. He's going to deal out retribution. It's going to be relief for some, repayment for others. And so with this in mind, we pray for you. <laughs> right? You, 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 right? That our God will count you worthy. I can't do it. Paul's like, hey, I don't know. But I'm going to pray for you that you'll be counted worthy of your calling. You have a calling now. And that you fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power. Paul, knowing that our awesome God is indeed a just God, is praying for them always. Especially in light of that long sentence, 3 through 10. He is praying that the Lord will count them worthy of their calling. If Paul is praying that for them, if Paul was praying that for them, who was praying that for you and who's praying that for me? Somebody says, what can I pray for you for? Say, you know what? You can pray that I will be counted worthy of my calling in Jesus Christ. Pray for that. Pray that I would be, because if not, <laughs> then we got to go back to those preceding verses and we're in trouble, right? So, going back to verse 10, remember we looked at that word belief twice? It says believed and it said believed again. To say we believe, which is two times in verse 10, is to acknowledge then verse 11 that you and I have a calling. If we say we believe, if we say we obey, then that automatically means that we recognize we have a calling in Christ Jesus. To this end, we pray, verse, seven, verse 11, we pray always that our God will count you worthy of your calling. You say you believe, then you have a calling upon your life, and you better hope and pray that you got people hoping and praying for you that you are counted worthy of your calling. I don't have a calling, only. We all have a calling. This wasn't written to a pastor, it's written to a church. We all have a calling. We all have a ministry. Turn quickly to your left. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Just a little bit to your left. Ephesians chapter 4. Good stuff. Ephesians chapter 4. You guys there? Therefore, I, Paul's writing this to the church at Ephesus, I, the prisoner of the Lord, I beg you, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And he goes and describes part of that calling with all humility, gentleness, 
patience, tolerance, love. Be diligent to persevere the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. If you say you believe, that means you're called, and now you have to live a life worthy of that calling. If you believe, you have a calling as much as I have a calling. No difference whatsoever. And so now that we have a calling and we understand that, the question is, are we worthy of it? Only God can count a person worthy. Shame on us if we think we can judge somebody's heart, and we do it all the time. We do it all the time. Amen? And then lastly, going back to 2 Thessalonians, just wrapping up verse 12. All of this so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in him. His name is to be glorified. His name. How we live glorifies his name or it doesn't glorify his name. The name of Jesus Christ is not to be profaned. It's to be glorified and honored. And how we live does one or the other. And so we are to live worthy of our calling to protect the mighty name of Jesus. Amen? I'm going to invite up the worship team. Um, and Michael as well. He's just going to lead us into a quick time of devotion for our time of communion together. Thank you guys so much. Let me just pray as they're working their way up. Almighty God, we love you. We thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the brilliance of those verses. We just had to go through them, Lord, and you spoke so mightily, so profoundly, and so clearly. We love you, and we thank you so much for the work you did on the cross for us. In Jesus' name, amen.